A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Chocolates are sweet, but they don't last long. Flowers are pretty, and then they're gone. So this Mother's Day, why not give your mum the gift that keeps on giving with Ancestry DNA? Ancestry DNA is on sale now for $99, a saving of $30. Ancestry DNA won't just tell your mum where her ancestors are from, it can also pinpoint the specific regions within those countries, connecting mum to the places where her story started. Ancestry DNA lets us look back across centuries to see where her family lived and where they moved. Combined with Ancestry's massive database of official records, this can open up fascinating migration stories. Who knows? Give your mum Ancestry DNA this Mother's Day and she might even discover living relatives. I know it's possible because it happened for me. Ancestry DNA is safe, easy to use and completely private. When your mum gets the kit, she just sends back a small saliva sample using the prepaid postal box provided. In a few weeks, she'll receive an email with the link to her results. From there, your mother has control of the data and how she uses it. There could be more to your mum's story. Piece it together with Ancestry DNA, now on sale. Terms apply. This podcast is made on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gunungurra people. I pay my respect to Aboriginal elders past and present. This episode uses the name of an Indigenous man who has died, and it also contains references to suicide. Listener discretion is advised. It's Monday the 11th of September 1922, and suddenly more than a million Australians have a new way of seeing themselves, their streets, their suburbs, their city, their state and their world. That's because the very first edition of the Sun News Pictorial is hot off the press. The Sun is a very different type of newspaper. Like it says on the masthead, it's a news pictorial. Photos are plentiful. Horses racing past the post, detectives chasing after crooks, returned soldiers looking for work, ladies flaunting the latest fashions, VFL warriors in flight to take heroic marks. The paper is a first for Australia. On every page, photo after photo accompanies articles that are shorter, sharper and more colourful than you'll find anywhere else. Sometimes the photos are the story. All of this makes The Sun much more accessible than The Age, The Argus and The Herald. For decades, these Melbourne dailies have offered only rare pictures to break up their acres of densely set type on broadsheet pages that are difficult to wrangle on a crowded tram or train. But the Sun News Pictorial is easy on the eyes, and being tabloid-sized, it's easier to read wherever you are. Given the old intercity rivalry, it's ironic that this pacey new Melbourne daily is actually owned by Sydney's most famous newspaper baron, Sir Hugh Dennison. Not that readers seem to mind. The Sun sells 100,000 copies on its first day and this success will spur Melbourne's own mogul-in-the-making, Keith Murdoch, 
editor-in-chief of the Herald into a three-year circulation war. In the end, it'd be the local boy who'd win out. The Herald and Weekly Times would buy the Sun News Pictorial in 1925, and under Keith Murdoch, it'd go on to become Australia's biggest-selling daily. The rest is history. Yet for a long time, it's been history that hasn't been accessible. Now, hopefully, that's about to change. Change in the sense that you might soon be able to browse 10,000 editions of the Sun News Pictorial from the comfort of your own home on a phone, tablet or computer. I'm Michael Adams and this is Forgotten Australia. Since 2009, we've been fortunate that almost all of Australia's great newspapers, from 1803 when the Sydney Gazette began through to 1955 when copyright kicks in, have been digitised and made available to us free of charge at the National Library of Australia's Trove database. The biggest exception is the Sun News Pictorial. And the good news is that we can now do something about that. The State Library of Victoria is raising funds to digitise the Sun News Pictorial and make it accessible via Trove. This will put a fully searchable version of this incredible resource at all of our fingertips. It'll be invaluable for historians, genealogists, writers, artists, anyone who's interested in our past. Now, just to be clear, I've not received any compensation for this episode from the State Library of Victoria or from the National Library of Australia. On the contrary, I've made a donation on behalf of Forgotten Australia to digitise the Sun News Pictorial. To kick off this episode, I spoke to the State Library of Victoria's Paul D. He's Senior Librarian for the Victorian and Australian Collections. Paul, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Michael. Great to be here. Mate, um, just for anyone who doesn't know, what is Trove, who uses it, and what for? Trove is a database, a free database, run through the National Library of Australia. So uh, we're talking pictures, manuscripts, newspapers, books, uh, all types of uh, resources people want to use. They can sort of go into Trove and look to see where it's available. So um, the facet that uh, I'm interested in a lot uh, is the newspapers. Trove is a platform for digitised newspapers. So that hosts over 26 million digitised newspapers. So it's a free service, so um, it's an enormous um, database and uh, recent national funding by the Commonwealth Government was um, very much well received by all of us in library land and the the millions of users that go on to um, research, you know, your local history, your family history, um, political history, social history, that's, you know, a lot of that happens through newspapers and then there's also people... We want to um, find out where a copy of a book is in their local libraries throughout Victoria. So Trove has many functions and that appeals to a lot of different people. I don't think a a service has ever been better named Trove because that's really what it is. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's uh, internationally recognised as a great database and uh, a wonderful reflection of um, how information can be um, accessible, made accessible. And uh, it's sort of been a great initiative by the National Library and well supported by all the libraries around Australia. And the users, um, you know, uh, that's a testament to the amount of you know, use it gets. I think um, Victorian page views per year are like 10 million per year. So that's just the Victorian page views. So you imagine extrapolate yeah. that over the 
over the country. It's very popular and um, it's advertising free. You know, it still remains in that uh, area where it's um, free from uh, pop-ups and all that. And uh, it's really easy to use and uh, it's OCR'd. So the, the text is um, op, uh, scanned, so there's optical character recognition, which allows the searching. So, you know, we have people looking for information they might and never find because they don't have a date. And Trove just sort of bypasses all that and allows um, free text searching. And, you know, people, what might take months to find can take minutes. One thing that people might not understand, and I certainly yeah. didn't a while back, is that while Trove has been funded, the digitisation of newspapers is funded largely or is it entirely by philanthropy? Uh, yeah, well, there's a number of ways it's, it's funded, but basically, yes, Trove, if you want to get your newspaper digitised onto Trove, uh, you need to raise the funds, whether you're a State Library of Victoria or your um, memorial city council or you're a local historian or you're a private person so you need to raise the funds in order to uh, get your papers up there so uh, a lot of the funding I suppose was from the government was for the maintenance of the such a large platform and so yes we rely on external funds really to get our um, newspapers digitised. One avenue of that is the public record Public Record Office of Victoria, uh, their local history grants, which happen annually. A lot of our local history, history organisations um, apply for grants to digitise their paper from through that avenue. Uh, there is private philanthropy. Um, some uh, organisations have secured council funding to uh, digitise their local paper. So uh, there are uh, a few avenues to raise funds, but yes, it's up to you, the uh, incumbent, to uh, raise funds to get your papers onto Trove, I suppose, yeah. So the big one is the Sun News Pictorial, the mm. Melbourne Victorian newspaper, which really is one of the most significant papers of the 20th century. Mm. So tell me about this initiative to have the Sun News Pictorial digitised. Tell me about the paper as well. Yes, so uh, the Sun is uh, was Melbourne and Australia's biggest selling newspaper, and uh, the the Age, the Herald, and the Argus are all other Melbourne dailies, and they're all so they're all on Trove. They're digitised to Trove up to 1954, uh, but the Sun uh, isn't. So it's a real gap in our um, accessibility to information, really. So um, it's been uh, FAQ. But patrons are always asking for this to be digitised, and. Uh, Basically, when we digitise a newspaper, we like to do it from the microfilms because it's much more efficient than the hard copy. And yep. recently, we were able to secure a donation uh, of the microfilm masters. So we now have the masters to digitise to Trove. So we're just seeking the funding to do that. So um, there's many reasons that the sun was an extremely popular paper, but it was a pictorial and really the first pictorial of its kind um, in Australia in that it was dominated by pictures. And uh, a good illustration of this is the first edition uh, had eight pictures on the front cover, on the front page. So maybe the Argus and the Age, they're full of advertisements and classifieds and very small, dense text. All of a sudden, in 1922, when the sun launched, you've got um, eight pictures and then you turn inside and um, you've got smaller, digestible articles and uh, with pictures running throughout the paper. 
and The Sun really uh, took the point of featuring local stories, local being Victorian, but um, like hyper-local, like you'd get people on the farm in um, Bansdale and Mildura, kids going to school, people getting, uh, or lady getting a haircut uh, down the street, you know, so really uh, familiar uh, scenes people would be uh, recognise themselves in, now seeing them on the, in the paper. It, um, I think that really resonated with Victorians, making it a, a very popular paper that, um, that was uh, digestible as well as convenient, and it also had um, information in it for the whole family. So you had kids, had cartoons. Uh, there was a lot of... Um, Women's columns, as they called them in the day, uh, that was very popular and there was a lot of um, photos of people you might know and uh, showing activities you might do, like the local sports. They often had photos of people playing golf or tennis in their local club. So it was that um, really uh, local stories, which was a big attraction. So that sort of popular approach, it means that when it's digitised, people are going to be able to see their great grandparents, their grandparents mm. perhaps, their aunts, uncles, whoever, or even themselves as kids in the pages of this paper. Yeah, and and a lot of the times accompanying those photographs are captions with names. Yeah. So um, researchers will understand that straight away that, you know, rather than having to browse endlessly, you can search for the name. So that was really important. And, oh, that's right, the grandparents playing uh, sport, uh, there's the beauty contests that used to go on, um, we often get people in the library come coming in hmm. saying, you know, grandma or great-grandma won a beauty contest uh, in the 20s and 30s and, you know, there's no way to find that. Yeah. So uh, even, even you know, even if the name's not there, at least when it's digitised, they can search it at yeah. home in the convenience of their own time without having coming having to come into the physical building of the library and search through the microfilm. Uh, and in, in the amount of stories that opens, um, like you, there's extent, like you think, oh, I might find mum and dad getting married because that was a very popular birthday. Marriages were very well uh, reported and really blew up in the 1930s and became popular. And you might find a um, photo of mum and dad, but also often they'll have the bridesmaids and grooms. Um, in the photo so there's extensions and with the captions you get a lot of other people in the family mentioned as um, birth deaths and marriages uh, the notices often mention a lot of uh, uncles and aunts that you might know existed so there's a lot of uh, possibility of extraneous information. Then of course you're talking from 1922 to 1954 so you've got huge stories as well as the hyperlocal you've got Squizzy Taylor, Farlap, you know the Melbourne riots the outbreak mm. of the war, Leonsky, mm. the serial killer. I mean, the list is, it kind of goes on and on. So the, the Sun yeah. the Sun News pictorial's take on all of those things is going to be very different to the Argus and the Age and the Herald, isn't it? Yeah. The Herald is more populous, but the Age and the Argus were, you know, a little bit staid in their coverage often. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's a, they're very dense with words and they have a lot of background and um, I think... The, the images illustrate this, the experiences Victorians were going through and how they were reacting to those events, whether it be floods or fires, uh, the war. And uh, it's by seeing these images that we can really recognise ourselves in them because we go through so many of those disasters now. And those, those 
photographs uh, say more than you know a, a thousand word article it's just the capturing of how people are really feeling and just looking at the photos of the 1939 uh, bushfires that killed so many it's just those lone chimneys and people huddled in blankets and desolate looking landscapes that are also familiar to Victorians now that you can look back uh, nearly a hundred years ago and see our forefathers and mothers went through very similar things. And I think that um, is captured uh, much more succinctly in a photograph than um, the words describing it because there really is no words that can capture those emotions. It really is almost like, to me, a form of time travel, being able to read Mm. these stories as they were being reported. It's real-life drama sort of unfolding. And like you say, yeah, when when there are photographs there you really get very much immersed in the scenes. Yeah, that it really um, visualises, I suppose, that, that abstract thing that you read and you imagine that you know, when you see a photo of something, it's like seeing a real object that's sort of, well, that, real, that person really did exist and this is yeah. how they look at this time. It uh, really uh, resonates and brings it home. And even the way, uh, what, what is interesting is the way crime was reported, you know, during those times and... Um, you know, Squizzy Taylor going into court. There's a photo of him going to court on crutches with his gang and a very uh, a lot of bravado in it and a lot of... Um, oh, it does it remind you a bit of uh, the, the Melbourne ganglands or even the Sopranos, just that, that uh, horrifying, that, that, that criminal. Yeah. And um, just the way a lot of the paper was set out and what stories were reported and how they were presented is interesting and people doing you know newspaper research historically find that interesting as well so to the nuts and bolts uh what's involved in digitization now mm. yes it, it can be a very uh complex process that um basically if we've got the uh, microfilm masters the say the best copy of the microfilm we digitize from those uh, to digitise from the hard copy, which we can do and we do do when we don't have the microfilm, but that's very labour-intensive with preservation yep. and having to treat every page and have special scanners in. So with the um, microfilm, what we, we do a rough page estimation, like how many pages are we looking at digitising and are there any title changes and um, then the microfilms uh, get packed up and logged and our um, data tracking uh, activated and sent to the um, library and through through their processes, uh, the, the films are scanned through a machine and turned into digital files, so each page is scanned and those digital files are then um, will be OCR'd, so optical, optical character recognition in that process um, can be categorised. So you'll notice on Trove you're able to do some searches such as editorial, obituaries, arts, illustrations. So each page becomes categorised so it makes it better for searching. Yeah. And uh, and then I'm sure there's a lot of back-end stuff that Trove people do to make it uh, appear on the platform with a lot of metadata behind it and a lot of description uh, and that it appears on Trove. So and, you know, it might take 6 to 12 months for uh, your microfilm project to get up on Trove um, but once it's there, it's all you know a finished product. How much money do you need to raise to digitise the paper? They they're looking at trying to raise two hundred thousand dollars, which will do a substantial part of the sum from nineteen twenty two when it began 
So uh, it depends on page, how many pages there are in that. There'll be over 300,000 pages in that. So depending on any um, costs, if they move according to the page counts, we'll you know, be able to get you know, a substantial part be- between 1922 and 1954 done. So basically a couple of bolts from one of the new submarines we won't be seeing for 30 years would probably pay for the entire thing. Yes, I do read those <laughs> reports and see the money. <laughs> And, and see the figures of popularity of Trove and think, oh, it's not that much. No, it's considering not. Considering how, many, it's people, not. Well, how many people use it and what information it reveals and uh, how, many, how, much, how much importance that information is to so many different people, I know. So, yeah. If everyone who hears this episode could chip in 5 or $10, we might get a quarter of the way there even. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, it just takes a little bit of money from a lot of people and we can uh, raise the funds and, and that and that donations are you know they go to pages digitized on trove they don't go to anything else and they go um straight in into um the process the project and uh i'd, I'd say you know when you you can really you know you, you give ten dollars you might be getting might turn out you're getting five pages up on trove so there's a real you know black and white material outcome for any donations. So we're much appreciative of anybody giving anything. So, Paul, are these donations before the end of the financial year tax deductible? Yes, yes, all donations over $2 are tax deductible. Fantastic. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Paul D of the State Library of Victoria. If you'd like to donate to digitise the Sun News Pictorial, head to the State Library of Victoria's website, which is www.slv.vic.gov.au. There's an article there called Save Our Stories, accompanied by a photo of Farlap, and clicking on that will take you to the donation page. I've also put a link to the donation page in your show notes. So, what will we get for our money? Well, last week I was in Melbourne visiting friends. Me being me, I took a morning off socialising to go to the State Library of Victoria so I could delve into the microfilm version of the first couple of weeks of the Sun News Pictorial from 1922. Here's a taste of what I found just trawling, without any ability to search for names or words or to flip from year to year with ease. Everything I did was done with microfilm, reels found in big drawers, loaded onto the machine with cumbersome manual controls and a screen that often has to be refocused and readjusted. It's noisy, it's time-consuming, and it's imprecise. Don't get me wrong, it's also awesome, and there's a real sense of discovery. But it'll be so much more awesome, and there'll be so much more to discover when everyone in Australia can do this from their device. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Sun News Pictorial blazed into existence on the 11th of September, 1922. It was a Monday. The first of the Sun's 24 pages bore eight eye-catching photos. Pride of Place went to the horse Beauford, winning the Chelmsford Stakes up in Sydney. The snap taken especially for the paper and transmitted by telegraph. 
Closer to home in Melbourne, there were pics of the aftermath of a car and motorcycle accident in St Kilda, a society lady seeing off friends on an ocean liner, and a police constable directing traffic in Swanston Street. And very close to home, there was a photo of Snowdrop, a black cat who'd taken up residence in the editorial offices. The paper told readers that this moggy mascot was drawing rations, and soon readers would be writing feline fan mail and even posting handmade gifts. Inside the paper, the first editorial set out the mission statement. Quote, the Sun News Pictorial, whose first issue is set before the people of Victoria today, has made an honest and humble effort to absorb and coordinate all the knowledge of the experts, editorial, pictorial and mechanical, all the world over. Over 60,000 miles of travel by rail, sea and air in five continents have been made to accomplish this knowledge. The editorial said the ink, paper, printing processes, cable service access, editorial staff, arts department and everything were the best they could be. Everything it said was in service of bringing readers the world near and far. Quote, Nothing of interest affecting all of us in our daily lives will be omitted and naught set down in malice. The Sun's slogan, it said, could be summed up with one word, service. Yet, for all the planning, there was no way to predict that September 11 would be a big news day. There wasn't too much to get excited about. A constable had had to draw his revolver in Richmond. A photo showed progress on the Bull War Memorial off St Kilda Road. But at least the weekend had provided a bumper crop of footy news and photos that were spread across a double page. Then there was chapter one of The Ravenscroft Mystery, a serialised novel by then-world-famous author C. Ranger Gull. For the ladies, there was a page titled Maids, Matrons and Modes, with the first issue featuring photos of the most darling hats from Paris. Maids, Matrons and Modes would also cover health. An early article illustrated with a photo of a smoking flapper, was headlined, The Fascinating Fag. Do cigarettes harm women? Some varying views. Here's one of those views, from a London pro-smoking doctor who'd been advocating tobacco use for about a quarter century. Quote, The soothing influence of the cigarette is a veritable necessity for men. So why should it not be welcomed as a nerve soother for women? Six or eight cigarettes per day can be by no means injurious for women. The back page of the Sun News pictorial, like the front page, was all photos and captions. The most intriguing picture showed senior detective Frederick Piggott and his colleagues at a crime scene in St Kilda. Former orders had raided the home of a bookmaker and they'd ransacked the joint. Detective Piggott would be in the pages of the paper again a few days later, this time outside the coroner's court having attended the inquest into the tragedy of Dr. Cranston, who killed himself, his three sons and a maid with opiate overdoses, his wife and their daughters being lucky to survive. Photos of Detective Piggott and of the era's other famous lawman, Detective John Brophy, would help turn these men into celebrities. On the 11th of September 1922, of course, their chief nemesis was Squizzy Taylor, but Squizzy wasn't in the pages of the Sun News pictorial. That's because the flashy gangster had absconded on bail more than a year ago and had since become Melbourne's Scarlet Pimpernel. People saw him here, they saw him there, 
but Squizzy couldn't be caught by the police anywhere. The debut issue of The Sun sold 100,000 copies to The Curious. The paper would very quickly settle into a steady daily circulation of 80,000, a figure that it had taken its Sydney stablemate, The Sun, five years to achieve. VIPs sent their congratulations to the editorial staff of The Sun News Pictorial. Chief among them, Sir John Monash. Quote, I am very favourably impressed. It's a great acquisition for the public of Melbourne to have such a progressive pictorial. The paper was surprisingly progressive in some respects. One that jumped out was its editorial in its second issue, which argued that Victoria needed far more nature preserves to save Australian fauna from reckless motorists and greedy hunters. If we didn't take action, the paper said, then one day we'd have to send our kids to a zoo in America just so they could see what a platypus or a quoll looked like. Such sentiments wouldn't seem out of place in a paper today. So too, the articles about massive changes to Melbourne's public transport system. The first few issues of The Sun reported that tram conductors' duties were to be reduced to just punching ticket cards. A photo showed this figure as he'd been known for generations. His uniform adorned with a bell and with brightly coloured ticket books. An article further brought him to familiar but now sadly fleeting life. It was headlined, Plundered Plumage, Tragedy of Tram Men. The piece began, Soon you won't hear the bell punch. You'll step aboard a cable tram and the conductor, a drab, untitivated individual, without one safety pin in his coat, without a bunch of pretty tickets in his breast pocket, without a solitary coloured trip slip fluttering in the breeze, without a tangled wire file wriggling up his left shoulder, without any decoration except a dim leather bag, will just hand you a ticket and pass silently on. His plumage is doomed. After a trial run on the Richmond run at simply selling everybody a ticket and punching tinkling holes in nothing, it has been decided to extend the system to all other cable tram lines. The brutal truth is that after 40 years of sparkling review life, life filled with a gorgeous gaiety of colour, the Melbourne tram conductor is to be reduced to a mere serge cloth official with a leather bag. Could anyone foresee a time when tram conductors would be an extinct species, not even held in an American zoo, replaced by the mysteries of Mikey and the fears of whopping fines? People in 1922 probably couldn't imagine that any more than they could imagine a future without movie spielers. A photo feature article profiled two old actors who, since 1917, had been paid to stand outside competing Burke Street cinemas and stage a spruiking duel to try to lure patrons into their respective venues. One of the joys of newspapers is, of course, a perfect headline. Day two of the Sun News Pictorial saw a sub-editor score a beauty for a minor crime story about a couple of thieves with a motor vehicle who stole a replica of the world's most famous female statue from a house in Armadale. That headline? Transit of Venus. And it worked on another level too, because right then Melbourne was sky-minded. There was a solar eclipse coming up the next week, which, when you think about it, was pretty serendipitous for a new newspaper called The Sun. The Sun's pages pop with human interest stories that amuse and appall. 
The leader of an entertainment troupe that had just performed inside Pentridge Prison brought huge laughs from 600 inmates when he signed off. Gentlemen, before concluding our little show this afternoon, we wish to thank you, one and all, for your attendance here. The headline for that story was Pentridge Follies, but surely captive audience would have been better. The Sun's little photo stories create strange juxtapositions that speak volumes about the time. One shows a huge mansion-shaped birthday cake of biscuits that had been baked for President Harding's dog, Laddie Boy. Other stories from the same time illustrate the grim pogrom against Melbourne's stray dogs, the death toll 925 pooches so far in 1922. We find triumph and tragedy contained in one photo of a convoy of open-topped cars making their way up a rough hillside road. The extended caption reads, Built by diggers. Completed section of Great Ocean Road around Port Phillip. Lack of funds makes it likely that 100 digger roadmakers will be put off. The Country Roads Board states it has never seen more thorough work. So, the road work was top-notch. The project was obviously worthwhile, but there wasn't enough money to finish it and to keep these 100 diggers in work. Except they might get some help from up on high. Not the government, but thanks to the solar eclipse. See, you could buy a pair of eclipse gazers to protect your eyes with dark movie film, and in doing so, know that the proceeds would go to raising funds for that roadwork to keep going so the diggers could keep working. Everywhere you look in the Sun News pictorial in September 1922 is to see down-and-out Great War veterans staring back at you. Some are pictured working productively, despite having lost limbs in the war. Luckier and better-off legless diggers could now get around on motorcycles, one photo showing four such returned soldiers, the caption noting, quote, The machines have starting devices on the handlebars. Sometimes in the photos, it's not evident that they're diggers until you read the caption. One shows two dozen men in smart dark suits, white shirts, worn with ties and hats. They're standing on a street curb looking at the photographer. Quote, Workless. This picture shows a group of out-of-work diggers. Day by day, they wander disconsolately round the city in vain search for work. This was a huge problem. The Sun News Pictorial recorded there were 466 out-of-work diggers in Melbourne alone. 266 men were married. It didn't say how many children they had. It'd be a fair guess to say by 1922 that their kids numbered well into the hundreds. All of these diggers were partly incapacitated by their service. Trying to help them had fallen to 50 unions, associations and leagues. The Sun News pictorial pages took readers to places they were unlikely to be able to see with their own eyes. Inside the central telephone exchange, to gaze upon a woman operator, her work a wall of plugs and lights and lines. Up to a Queensland aerodrome to see Qantas, the fledgling airline's big new Vulcan plane, which was capable of carrying eight passengers. Charming then, and perhaps invaluable now for family historians, two photos show new Australians arriving from Malta on the liner or Sova. In one of the shots, gazing down from where they stand on railings, are three infant children. They're probably two or three years old, so it's feasible one or more of them could still be alive today.
Then there was the arrival in Australia of delegates for a Seventh-day Adventist conference. Their dream, quote, Black will sit by white, and white will sit by black. They will eat together, they will work together, there will be no discrimination. And in Australia too. Naranyeri man David Unapon, activist, preacher, author and inventor, was already working on that for Indigenous Australians. And he was pictured on an early Sun News pictorial front page, having just given a lecture at the Church Missionary Society's exhibition at Essendon Town Hall. As the solar eclipse drew nearer, all over Australia, telescopes, cameras and scientific equipment were being set up. The Sun ran photos of these far-flung experiments, some of which would test Einstein's theory of relativity, the then 43-year-old professor also pictured. The Sun, that is, the big ball of fire in the sky, would be about two-thirds obscured over Melbourne at 4.07pm on the 21st of September. Yet, before the eclipse happened, it looked as though the world might again be plunged into a longer and much deeper darkness. The burning of Smyrna, in the then Greek zone in what's now a part of Turkey, had the world on the brink of another catastrophic war centred on the Dardanelles. Despite all the war dead and the walking wounded still haunting the cities and suburbs, the Great War might be getting a sequel, complete with another Gallipoli. The page 2 headline on the 18th of September read, Britain wants Anzac behind her again. The verge of war. Turks imperil world peace. Australian contingent asked for. Prime Minister Billy Hughes had a one-word answer. Yes. The paper's editorial, headlined War Again, concluded with, There is only one reply. The old refrain. Australia will be there. The next day, the front page was filled with photos of British warships in the Mediterranean. There were pictures of the destruction of Smyrna and of Anzac Cove as it looked in 1915 and might soon look again. Also, a photo of a mass cemetery in Gallipoli, sacred ground that might be again open for business. Allied soldiers were already ashore at Chanak in the Dardanelles. Quote, Melbourne was agog yesterday with the news that the Empire was on the verge of a new war. All over Australia, there was a rush to re-enlist or to sign up for the first time. The Sun News pictorial editorial said Australians would fight, but everyone viewed the possibility of another war with abhorrence. Yet that claim was at odds, with diggers photographed at the repatriation office under the headline, Another Go at Johnny Turk. A spectacular solar eclipse and a new war. Maybe the sun had launched just in time after all. Could stories get any bigger? The answer to that question filled the front page on the 22nd of September. Squizzy Taylor had turned himself in on the morning of the eclipse. The flash crook was photographed surrounded by police and accompanied by his lawyer. The sun devoted the whole front page to this image. And this was a first for the new newspaper. Squizzy's surrender was a moment that had been stage-managed for the media. It wasn't just a good picture, the article popped too, such as when Squizzy was brought into court. Quote, Leslie Taylor! Excited whispers gave way to a breathless hush as a short, neatly dressed, pale-faced man stepped briskly into the dock. Squizzy! 
The whispers broke out afresh. Then silence again fell as the proceedings, short and to the point, began. Did Squizzy think about timing his surrender to the actual moment of the eclipse? Maybe, but by doing it earlier, in the morning, he didn't have to compete with the celestial mechanics, and there was also then a whole day's worth of developments to fill the newspaper articles. As it turned out, Squizz's timing ensured he snagged front-page honours, with articles and many photos of people watching the solar eclipse relegated to the inside pages. Squizzy had cast his own shadow over the sun, thanks to the sun. Of course, we know how Squizzy's story would turn out. Five years on, he'd go out, not so much in a blaze of glory, but in a grubby gunfight. We also know there wasn't a second Gallipoli, but it's incredible to think how different our history and culture would be if the Allies had gone to war again and Australians had fought and died again at Anzac Cove. Then, of course, there's David Unapon. It's also incredible to think that even though he turned 50 in the first month of the Sun News Pictorial's run, he was just getting started and he'd live another 45 years, long enough to see the decimal currency introduced that would one day bear his image. What you've been hearing is just a skim over a sliver of the stories from the Sun's first fortnight. Now imagine how many more stories there are to find in the 10,000 or so issues of the Sun News Pictorial from 1922 to 1954. If you'd like to help digitise the Sun Herald, head to the State Library of Victoria's website, www.slv.vic.gov.au. There's also a direct link to the donation page in your show notes. I'm Michael Adams, and this has been Forgotten Australia. I'll be back soon with a new episode. As always, thanks for listening.